Hello, and welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Forrest Hansen. For many of us, worry and anxiety are constant companions. I have a bit of an anxious temperament by nature, and I'm very familiar with just how paralyzing those underlying concerns can be, even when we know logically on some level that they're irrational or just aren't that big of a deal. That's why I'm joined today by Lori Deshane, founder of tinybuddha.com and author of a variety of books, including the new Tiny Buddha's Worry Journal, which came out this past June. If you're somehow not familiar with Tiny Buddha, it's an online community with over 1,700 contributors and more than 3 million monthly readers. It's focused on helping people reflect on simple wisdom and apply it to their complex lives. Since it launched in 2009, it's been a leading provider of personal growth-related resources online. But before we get into the meat of our episode today, I wanted to do a little housekeeping and let you know where we're headed with the podcast. Last year, the podcast consisted almost entirely of conversations between me and Dr. Rick Hansen. This year, we're expanding the podcast to include a variety of interesting and well-known guest experts. So, moving forward, some weeks will be me and Rick talking about a variety of topics, like the exploration of the question, Who am I? we began last week, and some will be one or both of us talking with someone new to the podcast. We just finished our first round of outreach to potential guests, and we have a truly fantastic lineup for you that I'll uh, avoid spoiling for the moment. But suffice it to say that I'm really looking forward to it. Also, we're planning on doing a mailbag episode sometime soon, so if there's a question you'd like to hear us answer on the podcast, please send an email to contact at beingwellpodcast.com. You can also reach us through the contact form on our website, which I'll link to in the description of the podcast. All right, now on to our episode today with Laurie Deshane. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today, Laurie. How are you doing? Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to join you. I'm doing pretty well. Can't complain. Well, fantastic. So to kind of frame the conversation a little bit, uh, could you give me some background on yourself and your work for people who might not be so familiar with Tiny Buddha? Sure. Uh, so I started the site in 2009, which sounds crazy to me now. That seems so long ago. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. But uh, when I first started it, I had spent maybe about a decade were a little more struggling with depression and bulimia and shame and self-loathing. Wow. So yeah, I had a, you know, a lot of my own personal battles before I started the site. Mm. And at the time, one of my, you know, core motivations was I wanted to recycle my former pain into something that I thought could be useful for other people. As the years went on, I also realized this was kind of a way to redeem myself in my own eyes. So instead of mm. defining myself from my shame from the past, I could feel proud of what I was doing in the present. So it was really a, a big shift for me in that way. And I, I wanted the site to be able to do the same for others, to give them an outlet to share their stories and lessons and insights, because I think that's a very empowering thing to be able to do, to simultaneously help yourself and help other people. So that was my original uh, inspiration for the site. I, I always knew I wanted it to be a community effort and not you know, so much just about my own story, but everybody's stories and everyone helping each other. And now these days, I've been trying to shift to more creative work. Mm, okay, so things like the Worry Journal yeah. and other projects. Well, you know, because gotcha. I realized several years back that my whole life from really adolescence onward, maybe say 12 years old, was about overcoming my issues. I think I got into therapy for the first time when I was 12, because that's when I, that's mm. when the bulimia started. And oh, yeah, wow. and then and then really, it was all the way through college that I was in a number of hospitals and residential treatment centers. And then right after I, you know, finally felt I was getting a you know, a, a hold on my issues and kind of, you know, in my in my 20s, I was really recovering and learning to implement a lot of these tools that I had learned from therapy and treatment. And then I went right into, okay, now I'm in the self-help world. And, 
you know? So I had spent so long focusing my life around the issues in one way or another and healing. And, and uh, I realized a few years back, I, I wanted to reconnect with the creative part of myself where I used to do theater and scrapbooking. And I mm, had all these uh-huh. creative hobbies that were healing in their own right, but also, you know, a different type of self-expression uh, that I feel like I had been missing. Mm-hmm. A lot of people come to that material a little bit later in life. There aren't that many like 16-year-olds running around who are really focused on developing internal skills and personal development. Um, but you've been really engaged with this material in, in a serious way from a pretty young age, it sounds like. Yeah, you know, and I always think to myself looking back, and it's amazing how this works this way, but, you know, if you had told me in my adolescence that I'd one day be grateful for all that, I don't think I would have believed it because, you know, that was all, <laughs> understandably, it's very, those are hard years for me. Those, you know, Mm. I was very sick with bulimia and, you know, I was on a lot of medications for my depression and, and it was, it was hard. And, but, but when I look back at it though, I feel really grateful that I started to learn about, you know, these types of coping skills and, you know, I developed a certain level of self-awareness pretty Mm. young Mm -hmm. uh, because I think that, you know, as, as I've gotten older, it's, it's served me well to have had that foundation at, at such a young age. So I really do appreciate that. I, 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 my demons came out pretty early in life. Yeah, for sure. And it might seem like a sort of obvious question, but do you think that engaging with all of this self-help related material has made you personally happier? You know, I, I think that there's, it's a double-edged sword sometimes mm. because I think it all depends on where my headspace is in a given day, as I guess is probably also true of everyone. You know, sometimes having all this information about how to respond to life events and, 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 you know, how to empower myself. And that obviously could be very useful to, um, to, to understand on a deeper level what's going on inside myself and, and how I can, um, you know, respond in a more empowering way to life. And, but then sometimes there's a bit of, for for me specifically, I have a perfectionist side and that's what, that's what Mm, fed, mm -hmm. it's what fed into the, you know, bulimia to begin with is, um, this fear that I'm not good enough and nothing I ever do will be good enough and I have to do better. And, and so it's very easy for me sometimes to get into this space where I don't feel like I'm doing, applying all these lessons well enough, especially, yeah, yeah, for sure. you know, especially being at the helm of a site like Tiny Buddha, I do feel this sense that, oh, I should know this. I should, you know, and so if let's say I have a day where, oh, totally. you know, if I have a day where I'm not quite at my best and then, you know, and I, I even, sh- mm-hmm. I shudder to admit this, but maybe I snap at someone I shouldn't, or I'm rude to someone who's serving me in some way. And then I'll really, I could beat myself up over that, you know, but I, I do try though to remind myself, I, you know, when I can, I remind myself those are human moments and I'm, I'm still just a person like the rest of us. So when in those moments where I'm able to catch the perfectionist instinct, I do find that I come back to a place of happiness with myself uh, a little more quickly because I feel like, okay, I, I did the next right thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to put it, the next right thing. I like that yeah, a lot. Yeah, so I think that's what really it is, is that it depends on just where my headspace is in that day and how, how self-aware I am and, and how well I'm able to just let myself be human and, and do my best with all these varied concepts that and there's a lot to take in in the personal growth world totally you know if, if you're trying to excel at everything in personal growth there's a lot that you have potential to do wrong <laughs> yeah no that's a great way to put it it's kind of like a little bit of knowledge can be a dangerous thing here particularly as you're talking about from your own experience being somebody with a really perfecting impulse which i i have to imagine is why this kind of topic of worry and anxiety came to the top of the pile so to speak where if you're if you're constantly in a search for perfection of some kind, then you really are engaged with this process constantly internally 
of have I done enough? Yeah. Like, am I enough? And, and the concerns related to that. Well, yeah, that's definitely been true for me. And I think that's probably where a lot of my anxiety in life has, you know, come from. Most of it is mm. just this feeling of always trying to be enough and do enough and appear enough to other people. And, you know, perceptions. Yeah. I've definitely spent a lot of time in my life trying to control not only events uh, and people and my environment, but also perception. You know, I've always, I've always mm-hmm. wanted to be sure that people see me as a good person, as a kind person, as someone who means well. And uh, all of these thoughts of being good enough and seeming good enough can create a whole lot of just mind chatter and then anxiety if one doesn't take the time to recognize what's going on internally and then create a little distance from those types of thoughts and, you know, work mm-hmm. through them and, and then be present again. <laughs> so that's something that I've definitely worked toward is being able to recognize sort of the tornado of, you know, perfectionist obsessive thought that I can get lost in. Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, recognize when I'm doing that so I can come back to the present moment and focus a little less on that type of thing. <laughs> Absolutely. So speaking practically for a second, when you find yourself in that spiral, you're you're going down the anxiety rabbit hole, so to speak, or the perfecting impulse rabbit hole. What are some of the things that you do to kind of like pull yourself out of it? Well, I think the hardest thing at first is just awareness, you know, because a lot of times it's very easy to go down that rabbit hole and to not even realize you're doing it. Even I would guess, and I I can't say for certain, I consider myself someone who's fairly mindful. I I meditate regularly Mm -hmm. and, but even still, I have a pretty active mind and that's just kind of the way it is. (laughs) So being able to stop and say, wait a minute, these thoughts aren't serving me. That's difficult and and huge. So, and I think having a regular meditation practice or mindfulness practice does help one catch those kind of thoughts a little more quickly than they might otherwise. And um, Hmm. I I think a lot of times for me, what helps is a pattern interrupt kind of too. Uh, A lot of times if I'm just sitting around obsessing, I just need to get up and move, go for a walk, you know, or stretch or do a yoga pose or something to get out of my head and into my body. And that that helps a great deal. Sometimes I try to say, okay, well, I'm having this perfectionist moment, I'm going to put on a guided meditation for perfectionism. But then I find, I find, (laughs) I find that doesn't always work, though, because then you're like focusing too much on the problem, like I want to stop doing this. So I I do find it helps more so to just change things up somehow, whether that just means deep breathing, taking a walk, stretching, and, and that's been the most taking a bath, (laughs) you know, it's been the most beneficial thing for me. Yeah, that's fantastic. And in the in the book, or in the journal, I should say, you, you make a distinction between anxiety and worry, and you're kind of making a, a version of that distinction here. In our experiences, I think that the two tend to bleed together a lot. So how would you express the difference between those two things? I think that worry tends to be more thought-based, uh, you know, and it can mm. be a symptom of anxiety. But uh, anxiety can have a lot of physical symptoms, and, and, and whereas worry usually pertains to something specific, like I'm worried about this interview, or I'm worried about how they're perceiving me, or I'm, you know, mm. I'm worried <laughs> any number of things, my relationship, anxiety sometimes doesn't necessarily seem to have an immediate cause. You know, it could just be something happens that triggers something from the past, and all of a sudden you feel anxiety in your body, you know, some type of trauma from your past. So it might even be a little more subconscious where you're not even fully aware of what's creating that feeling. Uh, like a lot of times I've felt anxiety around things that, you know, at first glance, I didn't, I wouldn't understand it. Why do I feel so anxious right now? What is fueling, what Mm -hmm. is fueling this? I might even say I've had a great day today. I don't understand nothing. (laughs) There's no obvious external cause, but then I might realize, okay, actually 
that triggered this from my childhood or this from this wow, yeah, from yeah. this painful relationship. And when, you know, and mm-hmm. that's now creating the fast beating heart and all those physical clammy hands yeah. and those sensations you get when you feel anxious. Yeah, absolutely. So you have, you ask a great question um, at one point in the journal, which is like, what's the best advice you've ever received about worrying and how can you apply this today? And that's a reflection for the reader to take on for themselves. And so I'm just wondering, how would you answer that question? Well, I actually would answer that in kind of the same vein of what I've been saying, because this is my biggest core issue in life is the control thing. Focus on what it is I can do right now. I think it's like if it can feel very unsafe to accept that what's coming is coming. And even if you give your best efforts, there's no guarantee it's going to look like you hoped it would. Um, Another thing that I think helps me beyond just focusing on what I control today. So, for example, in addition to focusing on my efforts and not the results, I, I think it also helps to remind myself everything I've already gotten through and that what whatever mm. happens, I can handle it. And not only that, I can probably make the best of it. And that's something I don't always remember in the moment. And my boyfriend said that to me once. He said, you know, even if the worst came to be, you know you'll find some way to spin that and turn it into something that you can benefit from. And and I thought, well, first I thought, well, that's really cool that you think that of me. Thank you, because <laughs> I, I, I really like to be known as someone who makes the best of things. That's the kind of person I, yeah. kind of person I want to be and try to be. And so that was nice. But also, I, I think that's useful to remember, is that sometimes the things we worry about, the unknowns, the unpredictable things, those can end up being thing, not only things that we can handle in ways we didn't even anticipate, they might even be the gateway to some of the best things in our lives. So I think it, you know, this kind of segue, because this wasn't necessarily advice someone gave me, the advice is more about the control, but this segued into recognizing, I think, a useful tool to remember What's coming, we, we can handle it. We are strong and we can quite possibly even make the best of it more than we would have imagined. Mm. No, I think that that's a great reminder for for just about anyone, myself included, <laughs> you know, to to approach problems from like a place of kind of calm strength as opposed to one of feeling afraid or anxious or like you're being pulled in many directions. If you're able to kind of return to that to that foundation that you've laid inside of yourself, it becomes much more possible for you to kind of meet the problems that the world tends to tends to throw at us along yeah, the way. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a self-trust thing, just recognizing that you're mm. stronger than you think, you know, and you usually do better than you probably think you are. And then also, I think another thing that goes hand in hand at that is, you know, it, when the fear and anxiety come in, accept it. That goes back to what I said before, you know, I, sometimes before the trust, I go through the fear and anxiety. And then I get to trust a lot faster if I tell myself, it's okay that I'm feeling scared. That That's human. You know, it's, it's, mm, it's, it's okay mm-hmm. for me to feel all these very normal emotions. Okay. I felt them. And now I trust myself. Cause I know that I can, <laughs> I know that I've been through things like this before. And, and if I don't, I'm going to learn and grow and who knows what good might come from it. Yeah. That makes, that makes total sense. Earlier you were mentioning moving towards these more kind of creative activities that you're interested in, in pushing tiny Buddha, tiny Buddha towards and with the journal and other things related to that. And it seems like that kind of content, whether it's journaling or adult coloring books or other sort of creative activities, have become really increasingly popular as a form of personal development and stress relief. Why do you think that is? Do you have any kind of insight on why those sort of creative activities have become a more accepted form of, of self-help? Well, I think that journaling specifically actually does create a sense of control in a way, which ties back Mm, into this mm -hmm. conversation I keep having. Um, You know, it allows us to clear our heads. 
you know, to um, identify what we're thinking and feeling and to, you know, practice self-awareness and also Mm -hmm. to look at things maybe more objectively. You know, when something's on paper, you're able to kind of look at it and say, okay, this is going, this is what's going on. This is what's happening here. And you see things you might not have seen before. You You might make connections you wouldn't be able to make had you not written it down. And I think that's, you know, everyone's looking to feel more in control of life, of their life. Everyone's looking to feel like they have some sense of agency. And then I think with coloring, um, well, first of all, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, that's a that's a great enough I mean, reason that, on its that, own. For me, that was the start. It's like, oh, I can just pull out some markers and just play with colors and just be a kid again. So, I mean, that's something I love about coloring is that ch- connection to childlike joy that that mm, often mm-hmm. that often feels lacking, I think, in our adult lives, especially if we have a lot of responsibilities and goals and people depending on us. And there's not a whole lot of time to just sort of be a kid again. So for me, that's, mm-hmm. that's one big thing with coloring. Um, you know, I think we're, a lot of us were increasingly busy. We're connected to technology and we're disconnected from ourselves. So, you know, whereas it's very easy and I've fallen into this trap at times to just sort of take a, a free moment and just grab our phone and just numb out and do something that's, you know, consume yeah. to consume information, you know, whether you're reading, you know, I, I always, it's interesting how you can get lost in the web. You start with one article and then you jump to another and to another and to another. And all of a sudden you're like 10 topics away from where you started. <laughs> you didn't even intend to read about this, but you're on some Buzzfeed list or whatever that has nothing to do with what you were looking for. But anyways, it's, it's very easy to sort of get in this habit of filling our blank space with just consuming information or videos and mm. for me it's food videos I'm, I'm very obsessed with these recipe videos that are about two oh i'm right there yeah with you. they're just so they're kind of meditative in a way so I, I give myself that well it's like oh it's like watching them mix it up it's kind of like <laughs> <laughs> but in the same way it is just consuming content whereas i think when you stop to do something like coloring it's it's creative it's expressive it's different it's you're not mm. you're not necessarily filling the blank space uh or the void if you will with other people's ideas and thoughts and advice and suggestions and opinions and beliefs and arguments you're filling that space mm-hmm. with your own heart you know your your mm. your own creative energy and uh and there's something very healing and therapeutic and relaxing you said something in there that I think really encapsulates it and really says it kind of beautifully, this idea of like a return to childlike wonder and more freely expressing joy kind of in our adult lives where we often feel a little tamped down by the world around us, whether that be from our job or our spouse or our significant other or our whatever it might be. Uh, there can be a real sense of kind of drudgery in day-to-day life and, and finding ways to extract ourselves from it. Um, I think has enormous benefits from a mental health standpoint. Absolutely, you know, to be able to create more moments of joy. I think I think a lot of times we focus on sort of the bigger picture things. At least I know I've done that. You know, you think about you think mm-hmm. about okay, well, I'm not as happy as I want to be on a day to day basis, so I need to change this, that, and the other thing. And they're all these mm. these major life things that are a little daunting, and they feel so far off. And then you can easily feel discouraged and frustrated if you're pinning your happiness to those things. You know, cause it's like oh well, if I need to change my job, that could take months or who knows years if I need to get training and will I even make more money then if you're focusing on all these you know but if you think in more in terms of and and there's a place for those things don't get me wrong I absolutely think if you're miserable in your job it's a good decision to start the process of finding something else but I think there's a finding these pockets of joy whether that means doing something like coloring or dancing around to music or taking a walk on the beach which is what I like to do because I live near the water (laughs) these little Mm -hmm. you know short little pockets of joy I think can have just as big of an impact, if not even bigger, on our daily happiness as the big things that will take longer to change. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
you know, I, I'm a very future oriented person, much to my dismay. <laughs> I do try to, I, it's something I try to work on because I like to fantasize about the future a lot. And it's, it's something that my boyfriend does, does not like that. He finds thinking about the future mm. to be very stressful. Uh, but a lot of the times I get a mm -hmm. lot of joy in it. I like to think, okay, so where are we going to travel next year? <laughs> I just, you know, but, but it could be a double edged sword. Sometimes there's the joy of thinking about the future. And sometimes it then becomes the stress, which I think is where he might default more often. And sometimes I get there too. Well, how am I going to make that happen? How's that going to work? What about this, that, and the other thing, you know, and when you're doing these, when you focus more on what you can do today to create joy, as opposed to the joy that joy mm. that's coming down the road. I think that makes life, you know, uh, well, obviously far more enjoyable. And it does, once again, give you that sense of control because it's something everyone can do right now is figure out, okay, how can I schedule something fun into my day? Yeah, no, I think that's a great little little snippet to drop into people here. Just like finding a moment in your day for true unbridled happiness to give a, a moment of self-reflection here. For me, that's my morning. Because when I have my morning, I always make breakfast and I make coffee and I like make my own stuff. And I really like coffee. And I've created this whole kind of process where I've gotten very into it and grinding the coffee mm -hmm. and measuring the coffee, and, you know, <laughs> doing the whole thing with it. And it sounds very silly. It's a very small thing. But there absolutely is something that's very meditative about yeah. it. And um, very authentically enjoyable. So I would absolutely recommend that to anyone who happens to be listening to this. Yeah, I'm with you. You were talking about having this very future orientation. Mm -hmm. Somebody who edits a, a site on the scale and, and founded and runs and the whole whole shebang, a site on the scale of Tiny Buddha has to be like a pretty organized person, I, I would assume. Maybe incorrectly, <laughs> who knows? But like you, you have to maintain a little bit that orientation on what comes next. Like what's the next piece of content that goes up? What's the next meeting you got to go to? Whatever it might be. Um, what are some things that you do personally to kind of not keep that horizon too far in the distant future and instead keep it in that manageable space that you have control over that you were talking about before? Well, I actually feel like I am very organized, but the way I do my work is that I, I usually focus just on my to-do list for the day, which is a pretty good, mm, you know, uh -huh. I don't tend to think necessarily as, you know, what I've done on the site has been pretty simple from the beginning. My work each day is pretty similar to what the work is the day before. I've kept my work life simple uh, because uh, mm -hmm. I find that I'm happier when things are simpler. I, I have a to-do list for every day that I make the night before. And then in the day I focus, I yeah. focus on what I have to do on that list. Well, you've, you've bounded the level of your responsibility to a, a circle that you feel comfort with. And that is manageable. Yes, that's exactly how you'd say it. Although recently, I, it's mm -hmm. been occurring to me that perhaps I've gotten a little too comfortable in my circle. And the, it's funny, <laughs> there's always two sides to every coin. You know, you could say, okay, this is a good thing. I've created simplicity. I've created a, a, a manageable routine that doesn't demand more that I can give. And I have time for self-care and this, that, and the other thing and all these other healthy things in my life. But then it's like, okay, but have I gotten a little too complacent? Have I been, you know, have, have mm -hmm. I been clinging mm -hmm. to the sides of this little bubble that I'm in? So, so now I am trying to think a little more about, okay, well, what are some new things that, that I want? I mean, sometimes I do need to think ahead, I guess. I, you know, when I was writing the screenplay, I, I had it in my mind when I wanted to finish each draft. And this is something that I do, I, mm. I do think I do pretty well. With any project, I look at the time in which I want to complete it, and then I will break it down by day. Okay, this day, this day mm. I need to do this. This day, I, I will in advance of any project break the whole thing down by day when I start. So then, so then wow. all I need to do going forward is plug that into the next day's to do list. 
Yeah, gotcha. So so it's day to day, but you've taken a moment at the start of that process to really kind of organize the whole uh, yes. thing. So it feels manageable in the moment. Yes, I think that's exactly how it is because I like to know for I like to know going in that I'm going to be able to complete something in the timeline I've allocated for it. I, I am very organized. I'm very type A in that way. But what helps me though is I've gotten much better at saying to myself, is this a realistic goal for that day? Because in the beginning, there was a long time where I would really overextend myself in terms of my to-do list. And I'd get to the end of the day and feel really bad about myself because I didn't finish it all. Mm. I, I didn't finish everything on there. And then I, it finally occurred to me, I worked, you know, maybe eight to 10 or whatever amount of hours I worked. If I didn't finish it, yeah. if I didn't finish it, the problem isn't me. It was the to-do list. So then I started, I started mm. to get a lot better at saying, okay, what is a more manageable, what is a more realistic expectation of myself that allows for, okay, I'm going to need to take breaks. You know what I mean? Or I'm going to need to do things to take care of myself in the day too. I, I, I you know, I'm going to need to be responsive to other people. So I've gotten pretty good at creating a schedule that allows for the human experience of life beyond work. And, and, and now I do feel like I'm pretty on top of what I need to do day to day in a manageable way. Yeah, I think that's an absolutely wonderful lesson. And just that idea of if I worked really hard during the day and I didn't accomplish everything on my to-do list, the problem wasn't me. The problem was the to-do list. I think it's just an awesome reframing of that situation. I think it's a great way to hold the whole mentality. And honestly, that's something that I've been experiencing a little bit recently, both with changes in how we're doing the podcast and kind of my work life in general. I've had this experience of feeling like I was really working really hard during the day, but I get to the end of it and I don't feel accomplished. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like a really central problem that plagues a lot of people and moving the focus from, oh, I didn't work hard enough, I should have done more, to, hey, maybe there were a couple too many items on the to-do list, I think is a wonderful way to put it. Yeah, and I also think, you know, being able to feel a sense of accomplishment with not necessarily having to do so much more is it's hard for a lot of us and important, you know, because I think a lot of people think, well, if I didn't do 10 things today, then I, I did not accomplish, you know what I mean? As, oppo- as, sure, a, as yeah. opposed to being able to say, well, I did these two things really well, or whatever number it, whatever mm, number it is mm-hmm. for whoever, based on what they had to do that day, or three or four things or whatever. And then being able to step back and look not just at the accomplishments that are easy to track on paper, but the ones that maybe are, you know, less obvious Because I think every day there are countless things we do well that we don't give ourselves credit for. Like even saying, Mm -hmm. okay, I recognize at this point that I was getting really anxious and I needed to take a little break. And instead of pushing through it and making things worse for myself, I got up and did something good for my, you know, I made a positive choice for my own well-being. Well, that's an accomplishment right there. And not only is that an accomplishment Mm -hmm. in terms of taking care of ourselves, the more we do those things tends to be the more productive and effective we are in our work too. So it all kind of works, works together. And then there are accomplishments too, even based on, you know, I was there for someone else, you know, I I got out of my own head a bit and stopped focusing on my own goals so much. And I talked, talked to someone who needed me, you know, that might not seem like Mm -hmm. an accomplishment because it doesn't necessarily further the dial on the goals on paper. But I think those are the stuff that we're going to look back on later in life. And and that's going to be what we feel the greatest sense of meaning and pride with is how we showed up for other people in our lives as well. Not just how much we accomplished everything we wanted to accomplish, but how we showed up in the world for the people, for the Mm -hmm. people we care about. I think that's a that's a truly wonderful lesson to kind of drop in there. I think that's a really, really great point. So 
Speaking of lessons kind of like that, you obviously manage an enormous amount of content. The number of posts that go up on the uh, site on a regular basis fills me as somebody who's been an editor in the past with a sense of absolute dread. So from all of that content, are there any pieces that you've run into recently that like really kind of touched you or really shared a lesson with you that you've really sort of taken into your life recently? Today's post, there was a post uh, about pushing through phases of uncertainty. And there was one one mm. thing in there that really jumped out at me where she said that sometimes we want to make a decision out of uh, a pl- because we're f- afraid. And we don't want to sit with the fear. You know, we, we want to have certainty when there isn't any yet. But if we were able to not make that decision yet, to wait, to sit in the uncertainty and allow ourselves to feel that feeling, we're more apt to find whatever it is that might be more fulfilling for us because we're not just filling space immediately out of fear. We're leaving space. Mm. We're leaving space for what it is that we truly want. And that one really uh, resonated with me. Finding finding mm. the patience to sit in the unknown and to keep, you know, do what you can day by day to work toward whatever it is you're working toward and have faith and trust in, in that journey instead of immediately trying to just do anything to get out of the unknown. <laughs> Speaking as an anxious person myself, uncertainty is really the enemy. You know, like when it's when you don't know what's about to happen next that you can feel that, as you made the distinction between anxiety and worry, you can feel that anxiety, that kind of formless feeling in the back of the neck, like really start to get to you. Yeah. And it's very tempting to just want to stop that feeling as fast as, and mm-hmm. I should say before I continue, the author of that post was, she's named Samantha Case. And uh, so I feel like I should put her name out there since I just Absolutely. <laughs> Shout out to yeah, Samantha. Yeah, she wrote How to Push Through Phases of Uncertainty. Uh, but I think it's very tempting tempting to just want a feeling to go away and you think well, well what mm. can I do to make this go away but some but mm-hmm. oftentimes what we need to do is just sit with the feeling accept the feeling if there's anything to learn from it learn from it and not act right away uh, you know and, and then allow space for clarity to come in which is hard to do when you feel so uncomfortable with the feeling you know but the more the more we try to force something to go away sometimes the, the more we get stuck in it yeah, no, absolutely. It is. It returns to that little finger trap metaphor you were making before, where sometimes the attempt to pull ourselves out of the experience can become counterproductive. We um, have spoken previously on the podcast about this idea of experiencing something versus kind of experiencing it out. You know, are we in the phase of our management of a problem, whether that be our anxiety or our grief or whatever the negative experience might be, sometimes you just have to sit with it for a little while. Sometimes you just have to be in the soup before you can kind of reduce it to something manageable. Rick has a a metaphor that's really wonderful, this idea where he felt like he made it to his adulthood with this big bucket full of tears inside of his body, and he had to sort of empty that bucket one spoonful at a time. Sometimes you can't just pour the whole darn thing out because it gets a little bit unmanageable in terms of the experience of it. Yeah, you know, I think our culture tends to paint a picture where there are negative feelings and positive feelings. And so when you when when mm, you when you mm-hmm. frame things in that way, it's very easy to think, well, I shouldn't be feeling negative feelings. And then you judge yourself for feeling these darker feelings as if there's something wrong with you or you're somehow doing something wrong or maybe you're not strong enough and then you think, "Oh, I should just be positive." And then you're just kind of fighting with your human nature, which is that we all have highs and lows and there's nothing wrong with that if, if we let ourselves go through it. And letting yourself go through it is really the key to getting out of it faster because, like you said, um, you know that bucket of tears just does build up. And if you don't empty that bucket day by day, you're eventually going to have to start emptying it later. <laughs> 
another great metaphor that uh, Rick's used in a previous episode, which is the mind is kind of like a septic tank, like thing builds up inside of it unless you kind of empty it a little bit at a time. And, you know, great lesson to leave people with. So speaking of leaving people with something, we engage with a ton of content Mm -hmm. over this podcast, both in terms of this episode and the podcast in general. And I think that it's really easy to get, as you were talking about before, in terms of your own experience, a sort of sense of information overload, Mm -hmm. where there's so much stuff going on that it can become challenging to do anything because you're trying to do everything. So sometimes, you know, at the end of these, it's nice to kind of reduce it and kind of find what's really, really meaningful inside of it. So I'm just wondering, is is there one sort of piece of advice that has really stuck with you over the well, years. Well, something came to mind as you were talking, actually, uh, and I don't, I don't mm. know when this first, where I, you know, where I got this piece of advice. Or I'm sure it's just from lots of different messages that I've received. But I, one thing that I find is very helpful for myself is to just get in the regular practice of stopping and asking myself, what do I need right now? A lot of the discontent we experience in life and then pass on to other people is the result of not being in touch with what we need whether that means, okay, what I really need is to get outside for a bit. And that one comes back to me a lot because I work from home. So <laughs> that's a big, big one for me is I can, you know, I work on my computer from home or from a coffee shop. But so I, I, I often check in myself and realize I need to move. I need to get up. I, I need mm. to get out. I need a break. Or it could be, you know, I need to be honest with myself right now. I'm avoiding this truth that is complicating my relationships. And it could be something like that. Or it could be I need to be honest with someone else. I need to set a boundary and, you know, be clear on what it is that would help me, you know, take care of myself and be able to be there for them. And so all these questions about, I think it comes down to self-awareness and it's not easy. You know, it's, it's never really easy to truly identify what you need in a moment. I think that we have a lot, a lot mm. of resistance to what that is that we need and a lot of walls built up about what we should need or what it's okay to need and, you know, uh, where we should be at a given moment in time. But I think if we can get in that practice of asking ourselves, what is it that I need? And really self-reflecting and then act on what we've learned. And it can be the simplest of things. You know, I, I think that we'll be much more balanced, you know, emotionally balanced people. will be happier. will be more fulfilled. And, and will be stronger and more available to the people in our lives. I think that's a great way to put it, Laurie. And it's also, I think, a wonderful note to kind of bring this episode to a close on. So thank you again for being here. And we really absolutely appreciate the time. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. So to give a little summary, today I had the pleasure of talking to Lori DeShane, founder of tinybuddha.com and author of Tiny Buddha's Worry Journal. If you'd like to learn more about the Worry Journal, we'll include a link to it in the details of this episode. Lori began by sharing some really personal stories about the events that happened to her earlier in her life, which really shaped her relationship with content related to personal growth. She then spoke a bit about her personal relationship with anxiety, worry, and stress, and why that kind of drove her to create the Worry Journal. I then asked if she felt that engaging with all of this self-help-related content had made her personally happier, and what were the changes that she'd seen in her own life. We then spoke for a little while on a variety of topics related to worry and anxiety in general, and a running theme that came up during the conversation was this idea of managing your circle of influence feeling like you have control over the elements that can cause you anxiety and worry, and really adjusting the frame of your relationship with stressors in your life to a point where you can intervene. 
Then, towards the end of the conversation, we touched on topics really related to finding joy inside of our lives, finding little opportunities to really feel good about ourselves, whether that be by managing the scope of our to-do list or finding little moments throughout the day where we have an opportunity to authentically experience and find joy in our lives. So that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for continuing to support the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode with Lori, we would really appreciate it. If you would take the time to leave a rating of the podcast and to subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. So until next time, thanks for listening.